Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Church, great to be with you on this beautiful Sunday. Praying you had a fantastic Easter with your family and, and that you've been um, blessed with the service so far. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 in a moment, so how about you get your Bibles ready and we'll be there um, shortly. Well, a couple of years ago, I read this observation about the church, which I thought was really, really intriguing. It said, there's never been a more dangerous time for the church. It's swimming against the moral tide of culture and is frankly sinking, struggling to keep its head above water. From the outside, it faces growing oppression from tyrannical rulers and the reality of increasing persecution at the hands of an anti-Christian majority. From within, some church leaders are leading Christians astray with new and seemingly more attractive interpretations of Scripture. And those who are trying to stay faithful are left scratching their heads in bewilderment at a loss over how to respond. The situation looks incredibly bleak. Now, it may surprise you that that is not a description or observation of the contemporary church here in 2020. It's actually an observation that was made of the church that was existing in a previous generation, in a previous place, in the first century in Asia Minor. I was very um, surprised when I read that um, myself. I think history tells us a couple of stories um, that are important for us to acknowledge. Probably the most prominent story is about how modern and how progressive we are as humanity. That over the generations we've been able to harness technology and harness science and also accumulate so much knowledge that now we have created this big, bold, magnificent world which you and I now experience. But there's actually another story in play as well. I think it's the story of the human heart. It seems to be as you look through every period of human history, it doesn't matter the age of a person or the race of a person or even the generation or the era in which they live, there seems to be these commonalities of issues with the human heart. There seems to be certain vulnerabilities and certain fractures that we as humanity have and it doesn't matter what period of history you live in or what race you are or even what gender you are, we all seem to have these same um, vulnerabilities. And as I was kind of reading for the first time this description of the church, I couldn't help but think that the issues and the challenges and the problems that the church had over 2,000 years ago, we seem to have a lot of the same issues and the same problems here in our modern church in 2020. I thought that was really, really interesting. Over the last couple of decades, our Christian church has been ravaged by consumerism by individualism that's come in and crept into the walls of the church. We've also had this secular barrage of attack, which has just been so constant. And we've had to deal with and address issues that we've never really had to address in previous generations. And as a result, we're kind of left a little bit bewildered. It's sometimes we've been a little bit stunned. But I think that 2020 has offered most of us a great gift in that while we are in this space where we have to isolate and there's greater distance, there is also the opportunity for us to reset. There is an opportunity for us to be reformed. And in this moment, I can't help but think of David's words in his famous poem. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In this season, aren't we forced to slow down? Aren't we restricted in our movement? Surely this is a season where we are made to lie down. And in this season, I believe that God wants to speak. 
I believe that God is still moving. I believe that he wants to shape and reshape who we are as his church. And it's in light of this season that we are beginning this brand new series, which is called Real Church Problems. It's a series where we're going to drill down on seven church problems. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, only seven? <laughs> I can rattle off seven just like that. And I think you'd be right. You know, in any single church that you go to, there are going to be issues, there are going to be problems. That's, gr that, that's granted. It doesn't matter like, uh, if it's a modern church or a more con like conservative church. It doesn't matter. Every church has issues. Every church has problems. You know, if you just come into New Spring Church and you say there's no problems, I would just say you haven't hung around long enough. Stick around long enough and you're going to see that New Spring and even Kalamunda Church of Christ, we have some issues, we have some problems because we are family. Every church has problems, don't they? We all have problems. But I've found in my own life and my own experiences that when I go into a church or even as myself, I lead a couple of churches, I can go into New Spring or I can go into Kalamunda or I can go into my cousin's church or my brother-in-law's church. I can go into different kinds of churches and I can say, oh, there's an issue, there's an issue, there's an issue, there's an issue. And a lot of the time, the issues and the problems that I identify, they actually come from my own personal preferences. I wonder if you're the same. I'll go into a place and I'll think, you know what, I like that style of worship. I don't like that style of worship. Or I like that kind of teaching. I don't really like that kind of teaching. Or I might go into a kid's program and say, you know what, I like that, I don't like that. A lot of the issues which I identify actually come from my own preference. And because they come from my own preference, the way I see a church can be very different to the way another person sees a church. But what would happen if we actually allowed our own personal preferences to be laid aside just for a moment? And we came to Jesus and we said, Jesus, this is your church. Would you be able to help us identify some issues that you see in your church? And then, Holy Spirit, would you come upon us and would you shape us and would you mold us in such a way that we can actually address the issues that Jesus has identified? Well, that is precisely what this series is about. We are going to identify seven real church problems as identified by Jesus. Seven issues, seven dangers, seven problems that the church has faced, is currently facing and will continue to face in the future. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at the churches that are addressed in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is a little bit scary. I assure you, it's a book of hope and it's a fantastic book. And in this time, we don't have uh, the, the, the time to go in deep in interpreting and all that. But suffice to say, it is a book of hope and a book of encouragement. What this book is, it is a revelation that comes from Jesus. It starts off by saying the revelation that comes from Jesus, the apocalyptic that comes from Jesus. And that is simply an unveiling. It's a revealing. Jesus is wanting to reveal and wanting to show something to his church. And this letter, which is prophetic in nature and is also apocalyptic, is this letter which is addressed to seven churches. Now, these churches have already been through a hard time. They've already had to persevere and suffer quite a bit. But what is happening is that there is an impending crisis that is about to collide with these churches. And these churches aren't ready for it. There are fractures and there are vulnerabilities within the church that is leaving the church ill-prepared for the crisis which is to come. 
So Jesus, out of his love, gives this revelation to the Apostle John. And the Apostle John sends this out to all the churches. And you may be wondering why seven. Well, seven is the number of completion. So in Jesus sending this letter out to the seven churches, he is sending this letter out to all churches. And remember, the book of Revelation is also a book that is prophetic in nature. So what is revealed to these churches is uh, wisdom and lessons that can be revealed to us as well today. So we're going to look at the very first church, the church in Ephesus. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 7. The message to the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel in the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, there's some interesting symbolism and, and language here. And fortunate for us, John's already interpreted some of those things for us in chapter 1. Revelation 1 verse 20 says this, This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, as we go through these different churches and the way Jesus addresses his churches, we're going to see a couple of um, common things. Very first thing that Jesus seems to do before bringing any instruction is that he gives a new, bold, grand vision of who he is. And that's really important for us. You know how familiarity does breed contempt. And sometimes if we've been following the Lord for a certain period of time, we become very familiar um, uh, with who he is and the vision of what we have of him. And sometimes we can even treat Jesus as being very, very common. Trust me, there is nothing common about Jesus. And the very first thing that Jesus does, he comes and brings a brand new vision of who he is to the church. Letting the church know that the vision you had of who he is of yesterday or last week or even last decade, that is so small in comparison to who he is. Jesus is a risen, victorious Lord. He is God and a rightful king of this world. And after that, very often Jesus will actually give some commendation. You're doing well here. You did good there. But there is a point where he actually starts to focus in on some issues, some problems, some vulnerabilities that if left unchecked are going to leave these churches ill-prepared for the future world in which they are to step into. And then after that, there is a remedy, um, a way of actually moving beyond this and a way of fixing it. So we're going to look at um, the church in Ephesus and see how Jesus actually addresses the problem that is happening in this church. So from verse 1, let's read again. Write this letter to the angel in the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Wow, what a vision. What a vision. 
What a vision. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand. And in chapter one, John said that those stars, they are the angels of the churches. Understand again that number seven, that is a number of completion. These are the angels of all the churches. And Jesus is saying, this is how powerful I am. This is how grand I am. This is how mighty I am. I am the one who stands and I hold all of the armies of all of the angels in my right hand like little peppercorns. They are so small compared to me. This is how grand I am. I wonder what your vision of Jesus is today. Some of us have a vision of Jesus and he's still a baby in the manger. And you know what? That's great and that's cute. And in a couple of months, we're going to celebrate that. Thank God for the incarnation. That is magnificent. But let me tell you, that day has come and that day is gone. What we celebrated last week with Resurrection Sunday, that has literally changed the cosmos. Everything has changed right now for our Lord is risen. He is victorious. He is God of all. He is the King of this world and he stands and he lets us know this is how big I am this is how mighty I am I hold all of the angels of all of the armies of the angels in my right hand I wonder if you've ever seen an angel I have I've seen a fair few they're not small let me tell you I remember even in this auditorium in New Spring there's a couple of times I've been here and I've seen angels here there's great um, activity of angels here I remember one angel and he was standing from the ground all the way to the ceiling. That's a pretty big angel. And I've seen angels bigger than that as well. Could you imagine if an angel like appeared in its fullness? We would be absolutely terrified. They are big. They are powerful. They are mighty. And Jesus is saying, not compared to me, I'm bigger. I'm more powerful. You know, sometimes like even I know some friends and, and from high school and they worship angels. They got this real intrigue with angels. And I think to myself, yeah, that's good, but you just haven't gone far enough because if you think angels are big and if you think angels are great, how about you actually go further and see how big and how mighty and how grand our risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is. He is enormous. He is so big that he holds all of the angels in his right hand like little peppercorns. I wonder if you realize that the devil is actually just a fallen angel. And you might be in a moment right now where you're being terrorized and you're being tormented by the demonic stuff and things are literally coming against you and you're like feeling paralyzed and trapped. Well, you need to know today that your risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He is so big that all of the armies of all of the angels, including that little devil, fits in His right hand. There is actually no competition compared to His surpassing power and might compared to anything that would dare come against you. Rejoice and be glad and live in the freedom that resurrection life has actually given to you and given to me. This is a phenomenal truth that Jesus actually gives, this phenomenal vision. But then there's another vision which I think is really important for us to acknowledge as well. This vision actually sees Jesus actually walking among the seven lampstands. And again, that seven is this word of completion. So there's this picture of Jesus who's so big and so grand that he's holding all the angels in his hand, but he is also walking in and amongst all of the churches. All of the churches. If you've ever wondered, you know what, I'm a bit suspicious of the church. I don't like how that leadership's going there. I don't like the decisions there. I don't like this. I don't like that. Well, let me tell you, right here at the beginning of the series, you can actually chill out. 
You can actually sit down and relax and live in the freedom of Christ because you need to know and I need to know that right now, right here, right now, Jesus is walking among his churches. He is watching. He is looking. He is observing. He is testing. This vision is letting us know right off the bat that our God is mighty, but he is walking among his churches. He has not forgotten us. He is faithful and he is the one who brings correction, leadership and guidance because at the end of the day, this is his church. This is not my church. We are just blessed to be part of his bride, which is a beautiful church. So this vision that he gives off the bat, this is a really exciting yet sobering vision. And after this vision, he starts talking about some commendations. So from verse 2, he says, I know the things you do. I've seen the hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. There is so much to be admired about this church. I mean, this is a church that has patiently endured. It hasn't quit. One thing that's really to be commended when it comes to this church is that they have a great doctrine. They are really solid in their scriptural understanding. They understand scripture really, 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 really well. Why is this like an important, significant point? Well, 30 years previous to the writing of the book of Revelation, this could not be said of the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus had its genesis around Acts chapter 18. You know, you had Apollo, Aquila and, and Priscilla and they kind of started the church in Ephesus. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually sent his apprentice Timothy to Ephesus because the church at the time, 30 years previously, had these rogue elders that were leading the church astray. So the Apostle Paul sends Timothy to correct doctrine, to place leadership in place and to actually strengthen the church. And now 30 years after that, the church could actually say that we are strong, that we are doctrinally pure. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined, get this, you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You've discovered they are liars. This church has incredible discernment. Discernment only comes with knowing the Bible. That is the only way you can be discerning. Because when something comes, when something is spoken, you need to actually be able to compare that with the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you're not going to be able to discern if that is false or if that is true. But this church has great discernment. They understand their scriptures. They have really, really high doctrine in their church. And because of that, they are able to tell if these apostles, which aren't really apostles at all, they came preaching, they came teaching, and they were able to point out and say, no, actually, you guys are liars and they're commended for that they have this great great doctrine so there are some things that are so admirable about this church but there is a complaint which we need to pay attention to with all of this praise there comes this complaint from verse 4 but I have this complaint against you you don't love me or each other as you did at first look how far you've fallen Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. 
This church is so exemplary in so many ways. In fact, as a pastor, I look at this church and they are, they are exemplary in a place which I wish all churches were. They know their Bible. They know scripture. They know the gospel. And they, they, they know this, their doctrine is so high, yet in all of their struggle of actually moving from having just this low standard of doctrine and understanding of Scripture to moving where they have this great discernment, in all of their struggling, in all of their striving, in all of their learning, in, in all of their, 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 their grappling, they have fallen. That's what Jesus has said. Even though you excel in this, you've fallen. And this would have been a great shock to them. They know their past. They know they've worked hard. Jesus is saying, you've even patiently suffered for me without quitting, but look how far you've fallen. In their mind, they would be thinking, wait a minute, we've persevered, we've grown, we've progressed. And then Jesus writes and says and addresses them and says, look how far you have fallen. This is a hard, hard thing for this church to hear because this is a group of Christians who consider themselves to be faithful. For all of their discerning of others, they haven't been able to discern the state of their own heart. And this issue is no trivial matter. And Jesus really labors on that. From verse 5, let's read this. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from his place among the churches. Whoa, that is a harsh, harsh word. If you don't repent, if you don't turn, if you don't change, Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. And Jesus is God of the church. This actually lets us know fundamentally what our place and our purpose is on earth. We are here to represent Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, with all of your discernment, with all of your knowledge of the Bible, with all of your perseverance, with all of these things that are so commendable, because of this one thing, because of this significant thing, because of this thing which should be front and center, because you have lost it, I am not going to allow you to represent me here on earth. And history would actually let us know that this is exactly what Jesus does. This is one church where we look around the world right now, it no longer exists. Jesus gave a warning and history tells us that that is exactly what Jesus did. He removed the lampstand from the church in Ephesus. So what is the complaint? Because the complaint isn't a failure to persevere, they're persevering. It's not a failure to teach well because they've got great doctrine. Verse 4 says this, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. The NASB puts it this way, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. The NIV says you have forsaken the love you had for me. The ESV says you have abandoned the love you had for me. You don't love me anymore. You've left your love. You've forsaken your love. You've abandoned your love. Jesus acknowledges that they've been through a hard time, that they've persevered, that they've had to strain, they've had to fight, they've had to push. And Jesus says that you've been a church, you are Christians who faithfully rock up, you faithfully build, you come, you worship, and you, and you go and you build. But this is the one thing, you have everything else. But because you lack this, because you've fallen from this, you cannot represent me here on earth. If we do not have love, 
we cannot represent our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've ever met someone. I mean, I have. <laughs> I've met so many. It's funny, actually, being a pastor. I've met so many Christians, and um, they know their Bible. Absolutely. I've met so many Christians, and, and they come, and they talk to me, and it suddenly dawns on me. It's like, you actually haven't come to church to sit under Scripture. You've actually come to church to critique. And I think we have a lot of critiquing Christians at the moment all over the world. And you know what they say, birds of a feather really do flock together. So maybe it's an opportunity right now for us to pay attention to those who we congregate with. Because we need to have a spirit of love, not a spirit of critiquing when it comes to being the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to this church in Ephesus, yeah, you know your Bible. You know how to look at your Bible, but you have not seen how far you have fallen. History tells us that this church did not repent. They did not turn. And as a result, Jesus took their lampstand away. Some people may say, you know what? I love the Lord, but I don't really like his church. And you just need to know that you can't really have that mindset if you're a Christian. In fact, it's impossible to have that. Listen to what is said in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. Jesus says this, Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is what Jesus is saying. The way that this world is going to know that you are the church, the way that this world is going to know that you are followers of me, that you are disciples of me, is not how much Bible you know per se. It's not the worship songs you sing. It's not even oh, the, the Christian kind of traditional things that you do. The thing that the world is going to see and the thing that's going to let the world know is the way in which you love each other. How are you loving your brother in Christ? How are you loving your sister in Christ? Because that is a significant thing as far as the Lord is concerned. Jesus comes to this church in Ephesus, a church that obviously started this way. They started this way. When you started, you loved me and you loved each other. But now you've grown and you've progressed in so many different ways. But the most significant thing you have lost, you have lost your love for me. You have lost your love for each other. Look how far you have fallen. That is what the Lord is saying to his church. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that after he brings this complaint, Jesus now gives a remedy. And that's so encouraging to be able to hear and know. Verse 4 again, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Here we go. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. It seems simple, doesn't it? That's a simple remedy. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And really, that's what that word repent really means. It means a change in mind, to actually change direction. To, if, you, if you're going north, you turn around and now you're going south. It is a complete change of direction. And Jesus is saying, turn to me. They didn't realize they had the discernment to actually discern error in other people, but they did not have the discernment to discern what was happening in their own heart. And Jesus lets them know, you're actually walking away from me. You're not walking towards me. Therefore, turn around, walk towards me and Start to do the things you did at first. How's your love for your church going? How's your love for Jesus going? 
Do you remember when you first walked into Kalamunda or you first walked into New Spring? And you came in and you felt this overwhelming love and joy. And you just looked around and you said, wow, this is my family. This is where I belong. Well, how's that going for you today? Do you have those same emotions? Do you have that same response? And if you're anything like me, we're human. There are times where I find that my love does fade away. There are times where my love becomes so wearisome. There are times where, where Jesus actually has to let me know, wait a minute, Dave, you think you're walking towards me, even as a senior pastor. But I need to tell you right now, you need to turn and you need to redo the things that you did at first. This is a situation and this is a scenario that comes and visits each and every one of us. But how are you going? with your love today. I remember hearing a story years ago about um, this couple and they were married and they'd been married for a good while and uh, it was a really really hard marriage, really tough marriage to the point where they were coming to a point of separation and really considering divorce. They didn't see that there was a way forward. The husband's talking to his friend about this and obviously journeying with this friend and his friend knows where this is going and says hey how about you just give this one more chance. How about you try something different? So the husband said, okay, let's give it a go. What happens is that the husband actually decides to ask his wife if she will go on a date with him. And reluctantly, she says, yeah, okay, we'll go. Husband doesn't tell her where they're going, just says, okay, get ready and we're going to go. Goes in the car and drives. They come, they approach this restaurant, which looks a bit familiar, but it's been like, a, like it just looks familiar. They walk in and they take their seat and um, the, the waiter comes in. The husband doesn't allow the wife to order. He says, no, I'm going to order for you. So as they're sitting there waiting for the food, suddenly it dawns on the wife. She looks around and it's been many, many years, but there's such a familiarity with this restaurant. And it suddenly clicks. This is where we had our first date. She looks around. This is, yeah, this is definitely where we had our first date. The first course comes, the waiter comes and presents the wife with her entree. She looks down and suddenly some memories start to just go in motion and, and she remembers, wait a minute, this is my very first meal that we had on our very first date. And as the night progresses, that wall, that solid wall of separation, brick by brick by brick, it was slowly taken apart and emotions started to flood and to overwhelm and suddenly they remembered and they were returned to, wait a minute, this is where we fell in love. This is where this all began. And I'm not saying it wasn't a case where this was the solution because there was a lot of issues that brought them to this place, but it was the beginning of a brand new relationship and a brand new love that flourished from that place and it actually rescued and renewed and restored that marriage. You know, sometimes in our own life, we can become so indifferent. I remember when I was um, first um, became a Christian, my goodness, you couldn't get me out of the Bible. I was on my knees praying. I was worshiping. And, but throughout the, the years after, there have been times where it's almost like my heart has become dead. There, there are times when it feels like I've become so indifferent. And there's times where the Lord speaks to me and I have to make that decision. What am I going to do? And by the grace of God, I turn around and I've returned to those things which I did at first. And you know what? It may not happen initially, but over time, wow, the love comes. And there is this new relationship and there is this new flourishing that happens. 
Well, God is actually saying, Jesus is actually saying, turn to me and do those things that you did at first. I wonder what those things are in your life when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to your relationship with your church. What are those things that you did at first? Because right now God has given us a season where he is making us lie down by green pastures and he wants to form and to shape and bring a reformation to his church here in 2020. This address finishes in verse 7, which says this, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Understand that. To the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. As this letter has been distributed, as it is traveling to the seven churches, we need to understand that seven is that, that, that number of completion. And as this address is being taken to the church of Ephesus, it's actually been taken to every single church where Jesus Christ is Lord. And that includes Cullamunda Church of Christ and New Spring Church. That is why these addresses, this book is so significant to where we are right now. In Jesus, as he addresses the church in Ephesus, as he goes and talks about real church problems, he's actually looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying, in this moment of stillness, in this moment where we are forced to lie down, let me address some issues. Let me address some vulnerabilities. Let me look at some fractures which may exist, which may leave you ill-prepared for the world that you are yet to step in. And anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit of God will say to the churches. And by the grace of God, I am praying and I'm believing that we as Kalamunda Church of Christ and we as New Spring Church, that we would be those discerning churches, that in this season, our ears would be undulled, our hearts would be softened, and we would hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us here today he is saying do not forsake love first and foremost let love be front and center our love for jesus and our love for each other let there be something that the world looks upon us so they would know that we are followers of jesus christ that we are the church of jesus christ that we love each other and we love our lord let that be something that we take with us as we continue this week this month and this year in jesus name let me pray for you Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to look at these churches. As we journey through this series, I pray that you'd be speaking to us, that you would guide us and shape us, Lord. Come and speak for your churches listening. Take hold of us and transform us, we pray. And do not leave us the same, Lord. Make us into who you want us to be, collectively as your church, but also individually, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters who live in your kingdom, who are part of your household. Come and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.